Hey guys, this is Chris Roth here with Bushido Squaller with your weekly knock activism wrap-up. Today we're going to be talking about the disclosure of police misconduct records, developments in the Sunrise Movement and the Green New Deal, and some goings-on to the City Ethics Commission that have some serious repercussions in the city politics moving forward. How's it going, Bushido? Uh, it's going all right. I, I had a couple of things I wanted to talk about uh, at the top that aren't really, well, sort of L.A. related okay. because we do a lot of content creation here. Uh, but so in the social media sphere, like a couple of weird things happened the last couple of days that like directly affect our podcast because we broadcast on Spotify, uh, even though we're not monetized. And then like Ground Game and, you know, my own career has been largely based on YouTube because that's like where most people go yeah. for their media. So uh, first off, the YouTube one. So. A couple of days ago, uh, companies like Coca-Cola and uh, a few other ones that are escaping my mind uh, began yanking their ads from YouTube entirely. That was that was around the uh, pedophilia yeah. stuff, right? So what was going on was people were finding videos of just children doing whatever, just kids being kids on YouTube, and then putting a lot of creepy comments there. Now, a lot <sighs> of like internet commenters were like, there's pedophiles stalking these videos. And it's like, no, these are like neckbeards on 4chan and like slash pole who mm-hmm. are just trying to like be terrible human beings. And they succeeded. So after Coca-Cola and the rest of these companies objected over comments, they were not left by the content creators here. These are just random folks on the internet and pulled all their ads. YouTube has changed their policy for monetization and said that they will demonetize your video because of comments that are left on it. That seems extremely hypocritical. Yes. And it's also incredibly dumb because like Facebook, A, doesn't police any of the, it, well, they police some of it, but they're pretty bad at policing the content on their platform and claim that it's too YouTube onerous. or Facebook? Uh, YouTube, sorry. I mean, YouTube, Facebook also. Oh, but, yeah, yeah. but this one's YouTube. Uh, but uh, what's really weird about this one is that YouTube has for a while been pushing out smaller creators, even though they try and pretend like we're a place and a home for like small creators to exist on the internet. They're making it so if you want to have videos online and have them be monetized and pull down revenue from literally your work, you have to have like an entire uh, comment moderation team. You have to be there and making sure that nobody is commenting like terrible stuff. Also, this opens the door for like a whole bunch of trolls from 4chan to find popular channels like ContraPoints. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Oh, and just go like brigade the comments. Here's the thing is you could turn off comments on your videos. Yeah. The algorithm punishes you for that. You don't get seen by as many people. Your videos don't get as popular. You're less likely to get monetization. Like the comments drive people to the videos and keep your audience there. So Facebook's basically putting small creators who are already not making like a great deal of money off of uh, what they're doing on YouTube for the amount of like work that they're putting in for the most part in a position where they have to be spending money and even more of their unpaid time just to be able to like eke down a little bit of money. Um, and with YouTube, the to give you a sense, YouTube makes about $800 a year in ad revenue from every user. So when you've got a billion users, like that's yeah, pulling down wow. a decent amount of money. YouTube is still getting paid for the ads. They're just not going to be paying the creators for the ads that are being played on their channels. So this is a revenue stream that's directly attacking a lot of people who are trying to get into YouTube, get into content creation, uh, get into just like making stuff because it's fun. Uh, And it's really kind of scary because when you start to lose those voices, we're going to see more of the media consolidation we've seen to destroy like cable news and network news and all of the media that they create. You know, there are six companies that own pretty much every media outlet in America at this point. So this this makes me think about where people have been seeing, I've been seeing it more and more online, probably because of the the leftists that I follow <laughs> on Twitter and whatnot, uh, calling for demands to basically nationalize all of this stuff. Yeah. Like there's this, I mean, uh, the um, 
dollop guys. Uh, yeah. I have been talking about nationalizing the internet yeah. because it makes a lot of sense when you think about the kind of investment that the public taxpayers have been making toward this infrastructure that we all get to benefit from. But just like what Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was talking about in front of all of those pharmaceutical developers, they get all of the benefits of this massive subsidy of public research funding that goes into these things, and then the DARPA funding that goes into the internet development, and then these companies get to just say, oh, thank you for this information, thank you for this patent, thank you for this technology, and then they basically use it as a way of printing money at our expense yep. when we were the ones who funded it in the first place. Yeah, and that's that's one thing with YouTube, that if you've created videos and like put videos up online, yeah. uh, they'll go ahead and slap ads on your videos that you don't get paid for uh, if you're absolutely. not big enough to monetize, which like my own little channel where I just like get stoned and make weird agiprop, <laughs> I had some ads and then they realized they shouldn't put ads on here. <laughs> so you can watch my videos without ads. Uh, but it, it, it's it, this other situation where we have like these great democratizing technologies that are being hoarded by literally like oligarchic corporations. And this is one where it's just punishing small creators. And so I wanted to point that one out before I moved on to the Spotify one, because the Spotify news is a little bit more troubling. So what's going on is Spotify bought Gimlet. Now, Gimlet is a podcast creation like studio based out of New York. A bunch of former NPR podcasters and producers and stuff got together and were like, we're going to make our own own uh, company, our own production company for podcasts exclusively. Now that Spotify owns them, they're going to keep building that brand, which seems that good, makes right? Sense. Like, yeah. yeah, they've got some and decent like, content. S- Spotify podcast has like been pretty good. We get like yeah. some decent listens on there, some new people who wouldn't discover us, but. Where things get tricky is when you want to start pitching new shows to Spotify. Like you have an idea for a podcast, you think you can sell it, you get a meeting with Spotify. In order to get that meeting, you have to sign a contract that says that any ideas that you pitch to them, they can go ahead and make even if they don't pick up your idea. So like if Chris and I walked into Spotify and pitched this very podcast that we're doing and they're like, hey, no thanks. And then a week later had Gimlet produce like an activist centered L.A. news podcast, we would have no way to sue them or stop them for just straight up stealing our idea with a contract. That's incredible. Yeah. So it's again like we're seeing these democratizing technologies, democratizing platforms being just wrestled away from the actual creators and putting everyone in like more financially precarious spots. Like that's one thing where I keep like trying to game out this stupid economy the next 10, 20, 30 years. You know, if only 30% of the people are needed to do the work and that's the only people who are going to have that work and be able to pay for that, I don't know how society runs well. I don't know what happens to all the people who spent, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in college or have like really good skills that they've built. Um, it, it just sort of cuts back on this really stupid capitalist narrative that like the more work you put in, the better you hone your skills, you'll definitely be able to profit. It's like, no, you're going to get like cut out at the knees by the new Andrew Carnegie's and the new like standard oils of the internet where they're just going to go and buy up everything and enter into backroom deals to lock out smaller competition. It's really, 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 really scary. And then this comes and I'm going to, going to finish this off and we'll move on to local news. Oh no, we, but, I've got some stuff to comment on yeah, too. But we've <laughs> <Keep> got, <going. laughs> this also comes on the same day where the wall street journal just released a report showing that 
uh, Facebook has been buying data from apps even for people who don't have a Facebook account. So if oh. you've got like a, a health tracker app and you like put in when you're menstruating, <laughs> no. yeah, Facebook knows when you're on your period. Oh Facebook my God. knows when you looked at a house in one region that cost X amount of money. Like they're collating all of that data. Nobody knows what the fuck they're doing with it. And also they shouldn't be able to own all that data. So uh, slash rant on that one for me. I mean, that, that really ties in so nicely with what people over in the EU. And I mean, I've, I've got issues with the EU as a whole, but man, they've got some really good progressive data policies where they're like, nah, you own this. So that's why, like, if you've seen all of those cookie announcements on every goddamn page that you've looked at, it's like GPDR, blah, 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 blah. Like, that's what that's about is yeah. that basically the EU has said that these companies cannot take your data without your permission. And then even if they do, uh, even if they are collecting it, it's still your data and you get to decide what happens with it. Um, that we need something like that here. Well, there was a, actually a fun test that uh, somebody ran where they went and visited American versions of websites yeah. and then EU versions of websites after that change came in. The EU versions of the websites loaded five to eight times faster just because all of the websites <laughs> you're going to everywhere the on the internet. Tracking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's insane. Like, there's probably any web page you go to, there's probably Jesus. a dozen ad trackers tracking you across all those sites. And that's probably a low estimate. Like, if you, like me, want to read manga but don't want to wait for, like, the official English release yeah, to yeah. come out and you're, like, going to, like, a less than on the level, like, manga site to, like, get your weekly dose of the gamer or something like that you've probably got two, three dozen shady ad trackers tracking you across the internet. Like, you have to be really careful, which is why I use a VPN and stuff when I'm surfing around on the internet, even just for regular stuff. But even then, you can't escape this tracking. It's been built into uh, the muscle fiber of the internet, and it really doesn't need to be there. Like, it's really a losing game. Most of these ad trackers aren't very good at tracking you or predicting what you're going to buy or what you're going to click through. This information. And then selling that to a bunch of stupid corporations who don't understand what they're doing. They're just like, oh, the internet, we try and make money by Big just... Big data, like, buzzwords, yeah, cash, give it to us, please, yes, uh, now. It, it's painful, but for, for all of you out there, they're like looking into getting into content creation and media creation and like being in the YouTube space and the Spotify space and like trying to make a living off of your creativity. Um, it's going to get a lot effing harder before it gets easier. Uh, but this is really like, as we go into 2020, one thing we do need to be talking about with our politicians and stuff on a macro level and especially on a national level, because California can't regulate this on their own. The, the internet, sorry, internet, <laughs> the interstate commerce clause stops that. So we really need like Congress to do something about data and they need to do it soon because we don't control our data anymore. And that's going to get more and more important as the government and credit agencies and banks and schools and the rest of them start buying this data from Facebook to get a profile of who you are. So you're getting denied from jobs, loans, school admissions before you even really have a chance to apply because of algorithms that you have no control of. So, and so this actually really ties in with um, what Andrew Yang has been talking about in his 2020 presidential bid, running as effectively a, a, a Silicon Valley tech bro. Yeah, wants, I have no idea who this guy is. Is oh, he running for the DNC or the, no, the Dem? No, he, he's he's I th ooh, yeah, I think he is actually I think he is actually a democratic uh contender supposedly. Okay. But he's like he's extremely free market approach but based on like UBI. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. the oh, UBI that's, guy. That's yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Okay. So, okay. he's what's what's weird and actually he was just on like the Joe Rogan experience. Oh. Uh <laughs> Uh, not that long ago. And it actually got a lot of people clued into the fact that automation, like, so for all of the, my, all of the faults of, you know, his approach and everything else, 
the fact that he's talking about automation and he's getting people to actually understand like this shit is creeping in everywhere like yeah. everywhere every facet of your life there are programmers out there seeking to automate how it all happens and most programmers are also seeking how like their job is to basically make themselves obsolete within the next couple of years that's when, their whole point when when my friend was at uh, intel he was a, a developer there for them and yeah. the motto for every job was eliminate your own job and that's, that's like don't don't become the manager of your God, job. Like literally, design a process that will run automatically, and then you move up to the next level. No, what it is is you are creating the tools that allow the capitalist class to then automate your job and not pay you for it because yep. you don't have any uh, stake in the continuation because you do not own the means of that production. Mm. Oh my God! Yeah, this is so. This is this is yeah. a, this is where like the Andrew Yang stuff really like gets my. Uh, gets my goat, as it were, is that he's talking about basically this this massive uh, de-democratization of the uh, of the means of of actually producing content, of producing value, of how society as we know it functions. Yep. And he is somehow believing that basically just like trust us, the oligarchs, the capitalist class, we will be able to provide you with the manna from heaven, which will you will then be able to spend buying more of the products that we are using to that we're using all of your private data you to there. monetize for you. Yeah. You there, peasant. Stop using the <laughs> Lord's ones and zeros. <laughs> oh God, that comic. Um, yeah. So anyway, that, that, that it all ties in. So I'm actually really excited that he's engaging people to understand uh, what this new, you know, age of automation that we're currently living in that people, uh, I, I mean, people kind of understand that things are becoming automated. Like you're seeing more and more of those self checkout stands at grocery stores. Yeah. Uh, McDonald's has thankfully made it so that you can just punch stuff into a, a console and get your whole order done correctly without having to actually talk to people. If you're an introvert, uh, it's, it's, it's helpful for a lot of things and it's, but it's also hugely, <sighs> It's a a precipitous and problematic situation. So it's good that he's getting people talking about it. And I'm really, really, really hopeful for the fact that what he's talking about can make more people realize that, oh, yeah, this is really scary. And that's really, uh, you know, not a fun idea for what our future holds. But also your solutions don't really make sense. Maybe I should look for something else and maybe they'll find marks. The, uh, the, the, you know, the, (laughs) the question of our lifetime is if you teach a robot to fish, do all men eat or do all men starve? Uh, that's yeah. really well put. Yeah, that's very, very well but, put because those robots will be fishing, and yeah. we well, just assuming hope, we have any fish left. Yeah, well, <laughs> they'll be no, 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 no. They'll yeah. be fishing for algae for, for biofuel. Biofuel. Got to make that hydrogen. But to turn that question on its head, when you make police records public, do all <laughs> cops become good or do they all get fired? They so, all become angry. Yeah, let's talk they SB fourteen twenty one after. <laughs> After diving into automation. So uh, SB 1421, uh, really landmark law here that uh, we got passed in the state of California and Governor Brown got pressured to sign, but immediately was hit by opposition from police unions. So let's talk about what's going on there. For sure. So this law, again, SB 1421, it was signed into law last year, and it requires that the records of internal investigations into shootings of op- by officers, uh, not shootings of officers, because those get investigated real quick, yep. uh, severe uses of force uh, and complaints of overuse of force and confirmed cases of sexual assault and lying by officers must all be made public in an effort to increase transparency in policing. This is good stuff, folks. Uh, Unions representing law enforcement officers, uh, of course, including the Los Angeles Police Protective League and the Association for Los Angeles Deputy Sheriffs, 
have been pushing to have all records uh, prior to the introduction of the law, uh, which means anything from before January 1st, 2019, uh, maintained as confidential, arguing that the language in the legislation didn't explicitly apply disclosures retroactively. But Judge Mitchell L. Beckloff of the Los Angeles County Superior Court agreed with open government groups and media organizations like the LA Times, who have actually been doing some really fantastic reporting on the LAPD and Sheriff's Department in recent years. Uh, And the judge ruled that all existing records should become public starting March 1st. This gives the police unions a little bit of time to appeal the decision, but man, this is a huge ruling in favor of open democ- open uh, governance and you know uh, transparency groups. Yeah, I mean, also like the it's interesting that the cops in LA County, uh, I, I essentially I, I believe they just had too much data to destroy. They didn't have enough time because like Inglewood yeah, and several yeah Inglewood and several other like. Uh, departments up and down the state destroyed records outright. Like they just went ahead and like burned the records and were like, oops, we burned them all. Or Too made, late, sorry. Yeah, or made moves to do that. Javier Becerra, who's our sort of supposed to be progressive attorney general, uh, has the police's backing in that one, um, which is kind of weird that the attorney general would be like, oh no, you shouldn't know if this cop beat the crap out of someone. I mean, Kamala Harris, top cop, used to yeah. be the attorney general. This is uh, a continuation of that same stuff. Yeah. Um, so anyway, there was a, a, uh, a statement that came from uh, Jacob Kalinsky, who is an attorney representing those law enforcement officer unions we mentioned before, says, quote, we disagree with the judge's interpretation of the law and expect that we will be filing an appeal of these decisions shortly. But... Advocates for increased transparency in policing are confident that the ruling will be upheld. David Snyder, who is the executive director uh, or is an executive director of the First Amendment Coalition, told the L.A. Times that, quote, it's a clear rejection of the core legal argument that the police unions have been relying on for weeks now. We are confident that as courts continue to confront the union's tortured legal arguments, they will come down on the side of transparency and accountability. And I do got to say, for the the filings that the uh, police union has been making here, uh, they've gotten pretty widely panned by every legal expert that's seen them. Like, they're really bad arguments. They don't make a lot of sense. Uh, a lot of people are very disimpressed with, like, the lawyers that the cops are paying for in this sense. But it's good to see the judges, like, responding to that and out of hand rejecting, like, really inane and really ridiculous arguments that the, the police protective union is making here. Exactly. So a judge in Ventura County did grant a preliminary injunction on behalf of a local police union that had asked for a blocking of the release of records dating back to before January 1st. Um, but a judge in Contra, County, Contra Costa County blah, 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 rejected a similar injunction request outright. Yeah. Uh, so this really does look like it's going to be heading up to the California Supreme Court where it will inevitably be decided. In the meantime, uh, the Los Angeles Times has been reporting uh, that several agencies, including the uh, San Luis Obispo County Sheriff's Office and San Bernardino, Santa Barbara and Burlingham and Cathedral City Police Departments have already disclosed all of those records uh, under the new law, which props to them. Yeah, there are there are there are some police groups that are doing the right thing. I mean, at the same time, like the LAPD and Michelle Moore is already on the record. Sorry, Mike. Uh, Michael Moore. Michael. Yeah. Michael with no A. Yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, Michael Moore is on the record saying that uh, the LAPD just doesn't have the number of people or the amount of money that it needs to meet these open record requests, but which it's, it's, like you get $2 billion a year. You have 80 <laughs> staffers whose job is to do like PR and social media. I think you can just retask them like your Twitter feed is dumb and you don't need to be there. Yeah. Put those officers to answering open records requests. Like that's the solve there. Like you can literally just retask those officers and 
see no budgetary impact because those 80 folks can now comb through records and find every single time a cop punched someone and then tell us about it. Yeah, and also making these records public should really cut down on the actual, like, uh, public records requests that are made because you you it's just there. Well, and it's it's one where like you don't get access to all the records. Like SB fourteen twenty one is limited in ways where there has to be uh, something going on for you to request the records. Like there has to be a court case or some, oh, gotcha. something happening there. Uh, also, it has to be disciplinary records from officers. Like you can't just ask to see like an entire an officer's like entire career history. You can only find out about isolated incidents of when they did stuff. And there's some discussion about how effective it's going to be and how much you're going to have to know exactly what you're asking for because that's a big thing with FOIA. When you send in like a FOIA or a CPRA request, you'll get back a response that like, oh, this is too vague. You're not asking for the exact right thing. And it's like, I can only know the exact right thing I'm asking for when I get it from you. Catch 22. Yeah, it's like that faces game where you flip them down. (laughs) And like it's, I've I've had to go through that a few times where like I've had to file like four CPRA requests before I even get like a document back with the other ones being like, oh, this is too vague. Oh, this isn't what you, this might not be what you want. Oh, this might capture data outside of what you're looking for. And it's like, there's a lot of games still to be played here. Um, And it it would be really nice if the city of Los Angeles, like the city of New York had like an ombudsman, like an office that's just like accountability. Um, We don't have that yet, but I get a feeling that if we can get like a Larry Krasner here in LA for our DA, then we can start moving that way. Because like, L.A. and LAPD are big ships and it takes a while to like move and reorient them. But Mm -hmm. there are some like radical changes that could be instituted like pretty immediately. And for the cops that don't like it, uh, quit your job. Yeah, go do something else. Quit your job. So it's actually really really funny to think about with this that um, the like these people are public servants. They are on well paid public servants. Very well, very well paid public servants. And we should be able to see what it is that they're doing. So I would actually argue that even if you know all of the things, all of the records should be like not, you don't need to disclose the victims, but all of the police records, they are working on the public dollar. Yep. They are out there purportedly doing the job on our behalf. We should know what they're doing, even if it's stuff that's not breaking the rules. Yeah. It should all be available. We should be able to get the entire service record for people because there should we should be able to know the good stuff and the bad. Well, and, and I got to say, there's one weird quirk in California law that still hasn't been solved by this, and they're called Brady lists. And so these are really poorly behaved officers, officers with multiple like complaints against them, uses of force, on-duty shootings, whatever. Those lists are protected from public view. Like the police chief, Why? the sheriff, they can see the Brady list. Oh. The public defender, uh, the journalist at the LA Times, regular people like you and me, we can't see those lists. And that's like why, you know, the LA County Sheriff's Department has a list of like 300 poorly behaved officers who may or may not still be on the force. We don't effing know because they won't tell us. But SB 1421 is the first like real big tool we have to start undoing that. Uh, It's just going to keep taking a lot of pressure. uh, And we'll have to see how the state Supreme Court settles on this because the state Supreme Court can be a little bit uh, bit wiggy. Well, so this call comes, this really does come down to that whole argument that people make about like a few bad apples, like spoiling the bunch kind of a thing. If people genuinely want to see those few bad apples outed, they should really, really, really be supportive of these kinds of disclosure policies because how the hell else are we going to get those bad apples out of the damn barrel Without knowing which ones they are. Yep. Yeah. Come on. This is in everybody's best interest. And it's just completely, I, 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 
I'm I'm open to having a discussion with people from like the the, the deputies unions and whatnot about understanding why it is that they're so vehemently opposed to this. But at the same time, like, look, guys, you're 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 public servants. Yeah. No, I mean, I it's it's one <laughs> thing on. where I'd feel sort of like they have a winning argument if, you know, every couple of weeks there wasn't a Twitter video about like some kid at like a KFC, like spitting in somebody's chicken and then getting railroaded out of the job where like you can have a cop on camera shooting someone in the back and they and just, then a well-funded union sweeps yeah. it like they deserve protection. It's like, but the sandwich <laughs> artist who also screwed up at Subway, doesn't that kid deserve? No. Okay. All right. Cool. Yeah. Double standards, man. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to uh, talk about the Green New Deal and uh, some, some hopeful stuff. Well, hopeful and also, you know, it's 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 difficult. It's more yeah. difficult than it should be, which is infuriating. So. Yes. On February 15th, the Los Angeles City Council adopted a resolution endorsing the Green New Deal. Yay. (laughs) Good stuff. Okay, so the key point from that motion was, quote, the time for action is now. We have 12 years to transform our economy and society to stop climate change, and we must move forward this plan to protect our planet, our communities, and our economy. The science is undisputed. Good. Yeah. We have the technology. Good. And the public is overwhelmingly on the side of bold action on climate change. Action like, and and we can thank uh, council members. Uh, yeah, no worries. We we can thank council members uh, Mike Bonin and uh, Paul Caretz for pushing Fantastic. that one. Good job, uh, West Side showing up. Uh, they've both been like really good allies to the Sunrise Movement, and they're really committed to like making LA. Uh, sustainable and renewable energy based. Remember, they they also helped us shut down those three gas plants. Yeah, um, and that sure. was a huge win. So that's going to change the face of how we generate and use electricity here in, in the LA basin for years to come. But there's also some stuff going on at the state level. Yes, there is. So the the Legislative Council, um, council as in the, the, the legal folks, put out a summary of uh, at the top of Assembly Joint Resolution Number 7 which was introduced by Todd Gloria out of San Diego. Uh, Quote, this measure would encourage the United States Congress to enact a Green New Deal that would, among other things, comprehensively address our climate, our current climate emergency, transform our economy to one that places the health and wellness of communities at its center, promotes ecological resilience and restores biodiversity. This is this is all like very good stuff. Uh, Again, so that's coming out of the the author is Todd Gloria out of San Diego. Principal co-author is Ash Carla from San Jose. And now let's go through the co-authors and listen up, because if your assembly member isn't on this list, you really should call them up and ask them why. So uh, we've got Mark Berman, who represents part of San Francisco Peninsula, Rob Bonta out of the East Bay, Wendy Carrillo from 8051 up here in Northeast Los Angeles, David Chu, again from San Francisco, Laura Friedman, who represents 8043 up in Glendale and Burbank, Edward Garcia from 8056 over in Riverside and Imperial County, Reginald Byron Jones-Sawyer, Senior from Sawyer Senior, that, that that's a long name, uh, from AD 59 in South LA, including Huntington Park. Uh, so we've got some local folks on this. Uh, Robert Rivas from the Central Coast, Mark Stone from Santa Cruz. If your assembly member isn't on that list, like, uh, I don't know, Miguel Santiago. And a- Who's now mine. I also don't hear <laughs> yeah. my, my up until uh, very recently uh, assembly member, uh, Sydney Camelager Dove, no. who tries to put herself out as a progressive Democrat. She's not on this but list. Wh- why, why are they not on this list? Well, with, with Sydney Camelager Dove, it's because she gets all the developer money. Oh. Uh, with, oh. with Miguel Santiago, I think he's just bad at politics. Like well, this, this is an easy one to throw in on, and he missed the boat. And developer money. Yeah. Both. Uh, yeah. So it, please call them. Uh, Look up their numbers online. It's not hard. Find out who your rep is. Give them a call and ask them why they're not endorsing the Green New Deal because we need this, folks. It's 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 
well past time and we need immediate action on this. Yeah. So uh, to that point, uh, we've yeah. got the up, in, up in, the, in the federal level. Yeah, I was going to say, so uh, Kamala Harris yes. has come out and said she endorses a Green New Deal. It's a little bit wishy-washy. She seems more on, on board with the like really? slogan and the tagline <laughs> than like the actual transformation of the economy. Kamala I think, Harris is wishy-washy yeah. on, pro- on progressive ideals. <laughs> but I think she I think she sees a win- or she knows a winning horse when she sees it. Uh, Diane Feinstein, on the other hand, has been a little bit intransigent. Uh, we visited her office a week ago. Yes, uh, then Mitch McConnell was like, we're going to take this vote to the Senate. So we put more pressure on her. You were there yesterday. I was, so yeah. Tell us a little bit about what went down. So a, a bunch of folks from the Sunrise Movement, and uh, they are fantastic. Everyone should go read more about them, sign up for their information, and join them for all of the actions that they do because – Holy shit, it is amazing to see young people taking charge of this and like 19, 20 year olds. Yeah, no, it's kind of scary. It's like being someone in their mid 30s. I'm like, I didn't have my shit that well together at at your age. (laughs) Definitely not. These these kids are awesome. Uh, These young adults are awesome. Some of them feel like they're kids, but I I still call all my friends kids. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. People in their mid thirties and forties yeah. are still kids to our eyes. Some in a lot of cases. Anyway, uh, we had a uh, a big group of folks. It was probably around twenty or thirty folks that were uh, standing outside in the extremely not cooperative weather uh, at Diane Feinstein's office. Uh, right next to the 405 over on the west side uh, at, at Santa Monica and the 405. And uh, basically we were marching back and forth across that intersection, getting people honking for this Green New Deal support and asking her to come join uh, the Sunrise Movement for a town hall discussing this, this situation. That's going to be on yeah. March it's gonna be 3rd, Yeah, right? March 3rd from 5 to 7. It's going to be happening at L.A. City College. You can check out the Sunrise L.A. Hub uh, Facebook page for more information. We'll fill you in on more details in the coming week, but uh, we already have Mike Bonin confirmed. Uh, we're going to have some really good speakers, um, some really interesting discussion about what this is going to look like for L.A., for the state of California, and for the country in general. So Fantastic. you should definitely try and make it out. And then we've got another Sunrise Hub meeting coming up the week after that. Uh, I'll fill you in with details as that comes, but we've also got a bunch more actions that are going to be coming up as this fight heats up on Congress. Yeah, so one of the things that happened uh, yesterday at the at, at her office was the actual handing of the invitation uh, over to, I, I'm trying to remember if she was actually there or if it was just her staff. It's just her staff. She he, she has not stepped foot in her Westside office in years, <laughs> according decades. to a lot of people. <laughs> so it's, you know, you're not going to run into Diane in the hallway there. Uh, the last time we were there was uh, uh, Mr. Muller, uh, met us, I forget what his first name, mm-hmm. but he was, you know, there to sort of listen and then make us go away. Um, but with pressure, they've had to be more receptive and like come to the table because we're not going anywhere. Yeah. So they, they managed to hand over that invitation and hopefully we'll see her come out or at least a representative from her office uh, to that town hall and uh, pushing for good things. So uh, let's swing on down back to the city of L.A. Uh, there were some really big developments that had to do with not just the way that you can publicly finance campaigns, but also the way that elected officials are able to interact with developers and taking those donations. Let's talk about uh, the developer stuff first, because uh, if you're in CD14 and Jose Weizar is your city council member, you're probably very well acquainted with the fact that he has been accused of some very gnarly allegations and taking payouts from very powerful developers. So City Hall's making some moves to try and stop that. Yeah, so this past Tuesday, the Los Angeles City Ethics Commission backed new restrictions on political donations from real estate developers with business before the city. The proposed package of regulations represent the, quote, most comprehensive set of restrictions on 
contributions and fundraising, end quote, since it was established by voters back in 1990. These restrictions could represent a significant shift in the Los Angeles political scene. According to the LA Times, quote, the proposed ban would cover a broad array of people uh, substantially involved is their, their their terminology there in a proposed development project, including real estate executives, architects, engineers, and others. Such donors would also be barred from fundraising or gathering political donations for city officials. End quote. Mm-hmm. So, developer cash is often cited as one of the most corrupting influences in city hall, uh, understandably so. So, seeing it pretty much banned outright seems like a really great first step, but it really would not have stopped the kind of alleged behavior that seems to underlie the ongoing and FBI investigation to folks like Huizar mm-hmm. and uh, and others. So to that end, what might end up being the most significant part of the commission's action on Tuesday was that they also called for a ban on quote-unquote behested payments. Those are donations solicited by politicians uh, for charitable or governmental causes. If you've been following the Huizar story like we have, then this situation is awfully familiar. According to... Uh, well, I was going to say, you know, before yeah. that, something we talked about this with No Olympics uh, when we did the Rings of Hell podcast sure. series. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Eric Garcetti is really good at collecting behested payments, mm-hmm. and the uh, restrictions on reporting are very loose for this stuff. So he's got like millions to a couple tens of millions stashed for various causes and things. A lot of it related, seemingly, to the twenty twenty eight games, but nobody really knows. And this is a really sneaky way for politicians to build these like large, fungible war chests. Uh, And that's really, really problematic because, you know, we send somebody to City Hall where they're earning $180,000 a year. and then Okay, (laughs) $190,000 a year. But, uh, you know, five years later, at the end of their first term, they're suddenly worth millions to tens of millions. And it's like, how did you generate all that wealth that quickly? So there's like... When you're running for these offices in L.A., you're not just getting your salary. And that's sort of what we need to start cutting back on so public service is actually for the public, not, you know, building your own Scrooge McDuck pool full of developer cash. Yeah, so according to the Ethics Commission analysis, at least 311 out of the 597 behested payments that were reported by city politicians in the last five years came from donors with business before the city hall. Uh, This report came three months after the LA Times had reported that Jose Huizar, who represents, again, downtown LA, which is the undeniable hub of big developer spending in the city, had personally asked companies that do business at city hall to donate to Bishop Mora Salesian High School, which is his alma mater. And also where his wife was employed as a fundraiser coincidentally we're sure <laughs> so yeah this this is all tied together the fbi is investigating who these are there's irs uh involvement with the charges that and, and that have been um, publicly bit publicly dug into by uh people who are interested in this stuff and 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 are really good at searching through court records uh it's gonna get real dicey at some point here for local officials and uh, hopefully we'll actually be able to clean house. I mean, there's been some really yeah. damning reporting coming out yeah. about rats in City Hall and and corruption and how it's all tied together and it is, it's... But in order for like the city council to really move the ball forward, they would need to go to the ballot, right? This they would, would need yes. to be a public vote. So that that actually, uh, when it comes to the 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 public vote, I'm I'm sure that the public vote would apply to this next category. Uh, I'm unclear about whether or not it would be applicable if there would need to be a public vote on banning developer cash. It's it's, okay. it's kind of an interesting legal area. So we'll 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 get into that as things become more apparent. Um, so to that end, the commission also endorsed restricting all 
all political donations to individual contributors, meaning that businesses, organizations, unions, and other entities would all be banned from donating to candidates or campaigns. Uh, Any new rules on those restrictions would ultimately need to be put on a ballot for voter approval Uh, because it requires a city charter amendment, which uh, if you guys remember us talking about public banking, uh, that was a city charter amendment. Okay, so that makes sense. Yeah, so Councilman David Rue has really been the main driver behind the revival of all this campaign finance reform, which has apparently been languishing at City Hall for more than two years. Uh, what he ha- Here's what he had to say about the ban. Quote, a perception of corruption and pay-to-play politics fueled by the outsized influence of developer money threatens the very foundation on which we stand. Twice I have tried to advance legislation that would target this problem, and twice I have seen the legislation go ignored while the problem only gets worse. End quote. So, the, the self-awareness there is fantastic because the rest of City Hall just does not seem to understand <laughs> that, like, this is bad. Yeah. It's bad optics, and people really just genuinely do not trust City Hall uh, to a very, very large degree. So it, it's this is, a, this is potentially a huge step forward in terms of uh, taking back control and actually really understanding what is going on there when it comes to all these new developments. Mm-hmm. Um, so activi- activists that were at the commission hearing were thrilled with the results, saying, quote, we support a ban on developers not because they're lesser people, but because they're not greater people. And that was from uh, Sean McMorris of the nonprofit Represent.us, uh, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, critics of the proposed changes are, however, obviously critical of the efficacy of any such red legislation, arguing that the restrictions on developer contributions to individual candidates would simply push the money into independent expenditure committees, which operate much like the PACs and super PACs that have been in national headlines pretty much ever since the Citizens United ruling out of the Supreme Court a few years back. I mean, and full disclosure, uh, you know, ground game, we are a 501c4. We are a political action committee. Correct. We do operate as an independent expenditure. So, I, you know, I, I, I don't want to uh, paint with such a broad brush that like every pack out there is bad. Like they, yes. they exist for a legal reason, not yes, because we chose it, but in order to do what we want to do and not get sued by the IRS, yeah. we have to operate in certain ways. But this is part of a very broken system. You yeah, know? Yeah, absolutely like there are is. better ways to, na- to navigate that divide. Um, and one of the things I really like is this idea of banning political contributions to local candidates from companies and corporations and stuff, the danger there would be that they would just shift that cash into astroturfed independent expenditures. So as long as money is what's fueling our campaigns, we're going to have a really hard time wrangling this issue because rich people always want to get richer, and that means getting political power. It's like the money's the problem. Yeah, weird. Hey, Uh. capitalism. Uh, Stuart Waldman, who is the president of the Valley Industry and Commerce Uh, Association and a staunch critic of the proposed changes said, quote, money is like water. It always finds a way to flow. That's a pretty good quote to end on for that one. Yeah, I think so. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say that what this ties into is the new matching funds policy that the the city of L.A. has. So if you're a local candidate and you're running for office here, you can basically get half of your campaign or so funded by matching funds that are taxpayer dollars. Now, there are some bars you have to meet in order to access those funds. So before last year, you had to raise uh, you had to get twenty five thousand dollars from about 100 donors. Uh, it was capped at $250 would be counted as per matching funds. Yeah. So like if you gave me $1,000, only the first 250 would be matched. Correct. Now, they went ahead and lo- last year they lowered the amount that you needed to $20,000, but they also lowered the amount of money that's counted in each donation to try and like make it okay to get smaller donations instead yeah, yeah. of maxing out all those donations. So they dropped the limit from 25 or they dropped it from $250 
to $115. So the first $115 of every donation gets matched one-to-one, but you would need to raise $20,000. So that's 174 donors. Exactly. Yikes. So that's a lo- that's almost twice as many donors as you needed at $250 for $25,000. But, but they're smaller donors. There's just you know, yeah. 75% more. Yeah, which yeah. takes – it takes time to farm donors and yes, get people to open their wallets. Like that's, that's that work range. that has to be done. Yeah. yeah. So uh, what Mike Bonin had proposed when they first dropped it from 25 k to 20 k was that we should get more in line with Washington, D.C. and New York at about $11,500. Which – makes sense. Yeah, it's 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 a more decent amount. It's a smaller, more manageable sum to raise for smaller candidates. Um, it doesn't lock out as many people and it doesn't make it as easy for you to just like kind of cultivate a lot of big max donors. So after this week, what it's going to be is you'll need to raise $11,400. You can count the first $115 of every donation towards that. So that means that you would need only $100. Sorry, you would need 100 donors at $115 to unlock the matching funds. A much easier lift for smaller candidates and yeah. something that hopefully opens up the field. At the same time, like when you look at CD12, where there are 21 people who have filed paperwork to raise money to run there, you see somebody like Frank Ferry jumping in with a $200,000 loan to himself. Like just having matching funds doesn't cut back on the ability for rich people to fund their own campaigns. Yeah without having to like generate the same. That's the other thing is you're supposed to get signatures to get on the ballot. You can just buy your way out yeah, of the signature you need. need. You don't need so as long as we have a system that allows you to like jump to the front of the line, if you can cut a big enough check, we're always going to have grassroots and smaller community members running campaigns that are going to be hobbled out of the gate because they don't have that money. And, you know, there's this is going to be a solve for some people, but it doesn't it still doesn't do what we really need, which is opening up the field of who can run and what you need to be able to do to run and how you can, like, manage that process. It still very much makes it so that you have to have some money yourself. You have to be financially stable for a bit. You have to be able to pay a team that knows how to fundraise and manage data and stuff. So our elections as kind of like private companies running against each other is still mm-hmm. going to continue, but hopefully this will level the, la- the playing field a bit. And hopefully as we get more community-minded people elected to office, this will change even more because this is part of what has to be a more radical transformation. Absolutely. Like the Green New Deal is like, let's redo the entire effing economy if we want to live. <laughs> and these are all part of it. You know, the, the reason that we don't get Green New Deal or climate change legislation going through is because like Chevron and Exxon and BP and all of these terrible companies in the extraction industry are able to just buy politicians because ultimately you're looking at about a million and a half dollars for each run for Congress. And that's the cheaper one. For a I mean, Senate, you're looking at like five to eight million dollars. This is not walking around money for most people. That's about as much money, you know, a million and a half dollars is as much as like somebody working minimum wage will earn for their entire life. Yeah. And that's how much it is just even for running for the California State Assembly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean. And California California's always going to be more expensive than every other state. Oh, like even sure. in Wyoming, you're still looking at dropping a million dollars on a Congress seat. And Jeez. like nobody lives in Wyoming. In fact, I believe the Animaniacs, when they say it doesn't actually exist, it's just a hole in the map. And we gave it a name to pretend that there's a state there. Shout out to Steven Spielberg when he still made good stuff. And just as a, to put a little bow on that one, in case anybody is uh, interested, because, well, I mean, we can't really ignore the big thing coming out of um, politics this week was, of course, Bernie announcing his, yeah. his run for the presidency. Uh, if you look at Bernie's $27 uh, campaign uh, target for, for each contribution, 423 people. So if you get 423 people to donate $27 to your candidate, 
boom, you trigger the one-to-one matching for Los Angeles City Council races. Yeah. Yeah. So just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, no, it's a you can do a lot with small amounts of money. Obama proved that and then did all of the wrong stuff with yeah. that power. Uh, <laughs> but we have a chance to redo that and unmake go, Bernie, that. Go, yeah. Um, to uh, to turn to the calendar real quick, just in case you are unaware, we have a election coming up for LAUSD school board seat five yes. on March fifth. So there's a lot of fives in that one. Uh, we <laughs> can't tell you who to vote for. I'm not going to say that one here. Uh, for my part, I'm going to be out knocking doors for like Jackie Goldberg. There's a lot of good candidates out there, so I would say you know go check out the field. Uh, we're also going to have the CD12 special election is coming up on June 4th, uh, so we're going to be up in the north end of the valley. If you want to go up there and like knock some doors and try and get some strong progressives into that seat, definitely got some bandwidth for that. Uh, hit us up on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram through Ground Game, uh, or hit up Power LA because you know we're we're also buddies with them. But get in contact with us, and we've definitely got some shifts for you to work. Uh, again on March 3rd from 5 to 7 at LA City College. We've got the Sunrise Movement's uh, Town Hall talking about the Green New Deal. Uh, and I'm trying to think if there's anything else coming up on the agenda that really... Oh, yes. We have a fundraiser. Yeah. We have a fundraiser where we're trying to raise some funds because we want to go to D.C. for the People's Action Network convention. And also, like, you know, they keep wanting us to pay for keeping the power on in the office. Another silly details, stuff, you know. Details. They won't just give us coffee for free. And I drink a, a prodigious amount of coffee. But it's going to be going down. Uh, it's going to be going down March fourteenth at a space called Monster Kid, which is over by Historic State Park. Uh, ticket sales will be going live this weekend, so we'll definitely be pushing that out. If you like what we're doing here and you want to see us keep doing it, then please buy a ticket. Come hang out. We're going to have all the PBR and soju cocktails that you can shake a stick at and some really good fun DJs and some other stuff going on. Uh, If you hate what we're doing here and you want to come tell us to shut up in person, then buy a ticket (laughs) and come show up and tell us to shut up in person. Uh, Either way, we really hope to see you there. It's going to be fun. We're going to be pushing this for the next couple of weeks. Um, But yeah, this is like ground game trying to level up and do something like big and legitimate, but also keeping it pretty fun. Uh, and I really honestly am excited to see some people that I don't know outside of the internet and like real life and That'll real be people. Fantastic. So, yeah. And, and yeah. if you've got any time and interest, please feel free to stop by and uh, join us at one of our weekly meetings. We meet every Thursday uh, at 730 here at 5617 Hollywood Boulevard. Uh, hit us up. Let us know that you're wanting to come by. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll invite you up and have you join the space because it's a, it's a great group that we've got. And it's really, really uh, invigorating and inspiring to see all these people doing the work that they're doing and making the changes here. And a lot of the folks that, that we work with, you know, got inspired by Bernie in 2016. I'm sure there's going to be some action in that way. But like oh, yeah. one thing we want to talk about and keep focused on is like L.A. is a lot of people. There are millions of people here. We have a lot of issues to solve. We'll only solve them if we get good candidates in local office. So don't get blinded by the presidential campaign. That's going to be the big ticket item. There is so much work to do here in L.A. and we could use every set of hands that we can get our get our hands on. Absolutely, that's kind of redundant, but I'm still yeah, wrong with we, it. Screw we, it. We get it, and it, and it's all like we got to just tie it all together because Bernie can't win it all by himself. He needs Congress, he needs the Senate, and he needs local officials to come out there and make this work at the local level because you can push for the changes all you want at the federal level but if you don't have anybody you know taking it and running with it at the state level like look at the medicare expansion and the medicaid expansion that came out under obamacare all the the states that needed it the most oftentimes their governors were like nah we're not going to do that because it's socialism yep um and i mean obamacare being socialism is hilarious at its face value but 
that being said, that's a, it's a, a perfect example of like the president and the federal government can do a lot, but they can't do everything because there is still, you know, you've got to make the changes at every single level. And the stuff that's going on at the uh, Board of Education, uh, at city council, uh, like the Los Angeles County uh, Board of Supervisors, all of these things, every single one of these levels makes such a huge difference. And here in L.A., because we are such a large city and such a large county in the biggest state in the union, everything that we do has even more uh, like impact in terms of who, what all of our elected officials are allowed to do. And again, 15 people running the entire city council is patently absurd. That that is, that is entirely too much power in too few hands, and we need to democratize all of the things. Yeah. So uh, until next week, uh, <laughs> thank you all very much for sticking with us, and uh, hopefully we'll see you out there, pounding the pavement and knocking some doors. Hell yeah. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>